Hello! Hello! And welcome to episode number... Remember, we're not doing that anymore. Oh, crap. Ah! That's okay, now I don't have to remember stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, let's dive right on in. What's going on with you? Or do you want me to start? No, what's going on with you, Amber? Okay, fun fact, guys, it's because Paul doesn't know what he's going to talk about. (laughs) Way to rub me out. (laughs) Um, What's going on with me? Gosh, all of the doctor's appointments this week, my first sports massage, um, we had like our first real winter weather, I think. Well, first real winter weather predicted today. So I woke up and I saw there's a winter weather advisory and I'm like, ah, like I really don't want to risk. I had a long run, like 15 miles. And I was like, I don't want to risk getting caught in freezing rain, like an hour away from my house. So I'm just going to go run these little like one mile loops over and over and over again until either the snow starts and turns into freezing rain or basically until it's like unmanageable and I can't continue running. So I leave the house and it like hasn't started yet. And I'm running these little boring loops less than a mile away from our house or apartment complex. I ran three and a half loops and I was like, I'm going to die of boredom. And nothing had started coming down yet. No precipitation. So I was like, I'm just going to do this little six mile loop that I do every single week. So I ended up doing that twice. So it's just like I ran for two hours today. So on one hand, like, hooray, I was not like the precipitation didn't come. Freezing rain, like there was some snow that started at like 11 this morning. So I was well done by that point. But I was also just like, if I'd known, I could have actually run a route I wanted to run instead of being bored to death and running the same thing that I run every week. Oh, man. Can (sighs) I tell you? Yes. So the lake around near where we live is about a mile around. And I die after like two loops of that. Even like after one loop, I'm like, I don't want to do it again. But then I go around for another loop and I'm like, okay, I can't do it anymore. It's really, I mean, like, it's nice, but it's like, it's not the prettiest lake. Yeah. And, and it's I don't always, know. well, I go running with Meb there too. And there's always people walking their dogs. So it's like, I have to like reel Meb in and it's like, yeah, I think it'd be, like, more peaceful if it was, like, a nice, really long stretch or something. Yeah. It gets old. It's it's a really boring... I mean, it sounds nice. It's like, oh, we get to run around the lake, but it's actually really boring. Like, it's not that pretty. Not really much to see. Um, yeah. So, not as good as it sounds. Yeah. Also, like, the it, it predicted, like, maybe, like, one inch of snow, but we didn't get any snow, just a lot of freezing rain. Yeah, like I was super concerned about it. I actually like was thinking about it last night and I was like, oh, I'll kind of see what it says in the morning. Then I wake up and it's like winter weather advisory and I'm just like, I want to deal with it. I really actually wanted it to like seriously snow mm -hmm. because I really like running in the snow because nobody else is out there. I pretty much have everything to myself and I don't know. I just like the challenge of it definitely peaceful it's a little challenge it's almost like running in sand yeah with the little crunch and the uh... yeah so then i could be slower but then it's like okay because oh i'm just running in snow so it's okay to be slower yeah i can run at a much more comfortable pace oh i was like wait so all of your runs not on snow are uncomfortable now i see what you're saying it's a slower pace yes but it's, it's the comfortable pace for snow yeah it's like a slow casual pace and i could like just be lost in my thoughts and just completely just peacefully enjoy myself. I like doing that on every run, but yeah. 
it's nice when it's it's nice when things just look different than they usually do. I'm sure everyone that's listening, all of our crazy <laughs> amounts of listeners that are non-runners are like, please be quiet and stop talking about running. I could care less. Okay, so. on to the next topic. Um, I still don't know. I, my week was pretty boring. Um, I basically, I was just tired from work, and then I came home, didn't really do anything. So yeah, I don't really have any updates this week. Sorry, guys. <gasps> but we did. Wait. Okay. If any of you guys watch Shit's Creek. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's hysterical. It's on Netflix. I think there's only two seasons on right now. I learned today that there's like six seasons or in the, in the middle of their sixth or something. So we watched that in the middle of the week. It is so funny. It's I was saying it reminds me of Arrested Development. Um, like the characters, a little bit the kind of comedy. And it's just, oh, my God. It's so funny, you guys. Please give it a watch. Yes, so now you guys have at least two shows to give a try. Letterkenny and Shit's Creek. And Good Girls, so three shows. Okay, so and Good Girls. Basically, just continue tuning into our podcast anytime you want a show recommendation. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And our list will keep growing. Yeah, we'll pre-watch by binging all of it for you. Okay, um, what's up first? Spotify Pet Playlist. Yes, so Spotify will now allow you to create a playlist for your pet. So what you do is you can actually, I don't know, it's, I haven't tried it myself because I don't really use Spotify, but there's a new um, playlist generator. So um, it's curated stuff for both yourself and your pet. So you can pick the pet that you have. Um, you can, you know, put a, a, like name it after your pet and you can, choose like your pet's personality like energetic or relaxed or things like that and it will just uh you know pick songs based on those um selections that you made and i think they try to have fun with it because if you pick cat then they try to pick song names that have to do with cats wow i mean like that's... rolling stones stray cat blues or Hot Chips. I don't know who Hot Chips are, but they played like Hot Chips Alley Cats. And yeah, I think that's pretty fun. I that's think cute. It'd be a fun thing to try out. I'm kind of surprised because I was envisioning almost like the equivalent of like the YouTube like video playlist for your cat or your dog to watch. And I was like, is it just animal sounds? Like is it birds tweeting? And so like I thought it was like just like calm music for pets in general just you know that you can leave on in the background or like if you leave the house and it was like it's like they're like songs that they know pets like yeah but it's not that at all it's just like interesting it's just something fun and now i want somebody to set that up for their animal and then someone who has like a video camera at home and then they like turn on their video camera and they watch their animal at work and i'm like does the animal react to the music like does it trot around all happily or like I don't know. I would love to see if an animal actually reacted to the music on the playlist. I think my cat likes music. Mostly, like, I think she really likes, like, calm acoustic music. I think she really likes to chill out to that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe. She's just a relaxed cat. Meb would need high energy everything. He, nah, he already has high energy. He would need, like, a relaxing playlist. I don't know that that would get through. He needs like a lullaby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe a lullaby would work. 
right. Uh, so we have up next. Parking lot living, um, which is actually unrelated to the time that you were talking about the homeless people living in their, like. Oh, yeah. I was going like, to say living in their parking lot, living in their cars in the lot in, like, L.A. So, but I found this very interesting. So it's an article. It was from Outside Magazine. Um, so the article starts off by talking about these two brothers. I'm going to butcher their last name. It's like Siparuski. So they wanted to move to Jackson, Wyoming, um, for the summer where they'd previously been for a snowboarding trip. And it was just like for summer between, um, their college semesters. So they were able to get a job right away because the unemployment rate in Jackson Hole Sorry, they're moving to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, not Jackson, Wyoming. I don't even know if Jackson, Wyoming is like, exists. Anyway, so um, they got a job at the, gosh, Parks and Rec Department. They became lifeguards, and then they planned to live in a trailer. So they pulled this, like, 1965 um, trailer that they inherited from, I think, their grandpa. And they, like, drive it across the country because they were from, um, I think it was Illinois, what they said. The only place available was a field that cost $600 a month and it had no hookups for electric or water. And it was in Idaho, an hour away from where they needed to go mm. to work. So the article basically just talks about how there's a housing crisis for mountain towns because it's rich people living there. So now it goes back to talking about Jackson. So it's <laughs> I don't know why it goes between Jackson Hole and Jackson. Um, dream towns like Jackson have always been pricey places to live, but recent trends have um, turned it into an issue. So they say and simply in many places, there's no viable rental options for seasonal workers. And they are huge places for seasonal workers because it's these towns in the West where people go to be outdoors. Um, so they were saying that in mid-June, the Parks and Rec uh, manager told the brothers about a new program to address uh, Jackson's housing issue. So city employees could camp for free behind the rec center. Um, the city launched a summer long pilot program to gauge the viability of a municipal campground that would give its seasonal workforce an affordable place to live. Um, so the parking lot took three years to approve. Um, to ensure that parking lot units went to locally employed people in town, uh, the town reached out to businesses who in turn offered deals to their employees, except they sold zero permits um, because employees were expected to pay $500 for a parking space with limited electric, no water, and a shared porta potty. Per month? Yes. Oh, wow. $500 a month to live in your own trailer with a porta potty that you're sharing with other people. So. Yeah could probably find a place on what is it like uh craigslist just to like share a room with somebody like and that would be a much better room situation share. yeah because right. then but at least you have so it also benefit. talked about rent though so let me see here well it said ultimately eight workers stayed in the lot for the summer because the um city agreed to cover their own employees rent in the lot and to provide a membership to the rec center where they could shower. So they kind of ended up changing the terms anyway, because no one wanted to pay to live there. Um, they gave other examples where Aspen ski companies, housing employees in a parking lot full of 350 square foot, tiny homes um, in Tahoe city, city officials have proposed paying owners to rent idle second homes to local employees. Whistler has a 650 person a waiting list for workforce housing, and it can't build units fast enough to accommodate its growth in tourism. 
Um, so according to a 2016 study for the Economic Policy Institute, Jackson has the highest rate of income inequality anywhere in the country. Um, the median price of listed homes in Jackson is $1.375 million. So it's like, obviously, seasonal workers can't afford that. Um, and who is a seasonal worker would be purchasing a home anyway, you know? Yeah. So it said the city's struggling to hire police officers, paramedics, teachers, and director level positions. Um, they said chalk it up to a litany of issues like limited land, poor wages, outside investors buying up properties, proliferation of short-term rentals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they interviewed one parking lot resident who he was an employee of the city's water department department. Huh. He recently separated from his wife. Um, the home he was renting in was sold, and he said he bounced around in hotels and slept in a 20-foot comfort trailer or his truck um, on roads both in town and the surrounding county. And he was like, I just got tired of it all. When the manager mentioned this lot, um, he took him up on the offer. He said it allowed him to stay close to his kids. And he said, looking in the paper, you can find a two-bedroom, one-bath for three grand a month. Whew. And he's like, who can afford that? Unless you're getting paid $30 an hour, that's not going to happen here. Um, so there was someone else they interviewed who said that they were trying to hire an aquatics operations supervisor, a job that pays like 55,000 to 60,000 60, to five different people. Um, none accepted because they couldn't find an affordable place to live. Um, it said in the, gosh, in the 1990s, 85% of the workforce lived locally, but in 2017, only 58% did. Um, and then they talked a little bit about what they're trying to do to fix the problem. So 220 workforce units or apartments designed for locally employed people are coming online this year to supplement the 817 already in town. The city's rezoning some neighborhoods to allow accessory units such as guest houses and mandating that any new developments include affordable housing, uh, which is available to anyone making less than 120% of the median income. So that was like the whole article, but I was just... I was so fascinated because I have this like, I'm like, man, it'd be really cool to live in like a tiny home or to like rent a trailer and go either on like a really cool road trip or just go like, I've read blogs about people who choose to work seasonal jobs. Um, they leave like corporate America or whatever other job they're doing that they didn't like. And they're like, I'm just going to go work seasonally. And like, like I've heard stories of people who choose to be like ski instructors in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, they go somewhere else and they do something else seasonally. And it's like, people want to do that as a lifestyle, but then you kind of see that it's such a huge issue because how are you going to do that if you can't actually afford anywhere to live? Like, are you expected to buy a trailer and then go live in a parking lot? Yeah. Like that seems kind of depressing. I think it's just like really poor city planning. Like whoever planned out the city just didn't have their priorities straight. Cause I looked at the map and there's like a bunch of like resorts around there, like ski resorts and like all that stuff. So mm. obviously that's a huge like money pool. So like a lot of rich people are going to be able to live there and they're going to come vacation there. Um, even if they don't live there. So I guess they just kept building up those kinds of things, but there have to be, there has to be people who work there too in order yeah. for it to work. So I guess they didn't really think about that. They only thought about like the money coming in. They didn't really think about, you know, how they were going to staff the city or town. That's true. And I think part of it too is like the West is so 
secluded. Like if you build a resort town in the middle of nowhere, like there's nothing else existing. But if you go to like a resort place in Florida, like it's not going to be in the middle of nowhere. So the people that work there aren't going to have an issue finding somewhere to live. They might just live 20 minutes outside. Yeah. Usually like you have like your main city where it's really expensive to live, but there's like a lot of stuff going on there. But then like around the city are a bunch of suburbs. So, you know, you can commute in if you have to. But at least there's options. Yeah. It's just crazy. Because I'm like, I think it's a really cool, like, lifestyle. Um, I don't know that I'd ever be able to do it. It's kind of just this, like, alter ego that I have where I'm like, man, it'd be really cool to go live this, like, completely different lifestyle and just be outdoorsy and, you know, have, like, none of the worries that I have here. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's kind of disappointing here. Well, good to know because I always kind of had similar along those lines. Like, what if I just became like a park ranger at like Yellowstone National Park? But then where would I live? Because that's also in Wyoming. It's really near Jackson and Jackson Hole. You could just move to Idaho or I don't know where it is in Montana. No, it's in Montana, isn't it? Yellowstone, Montana. What? No, no, no. It's it's like partly in Wyoming. It's like on on the... I think it's in both. Yeah, it likes... It crosses the border. Yellowstone is really big. Um, oh, well, yeah, maybe you could live in Idaho, like an hour away. Yeah, I could uh, I could have like a potato farm. And make homemade potato chips. And french fries. And sell and, them at a like street side. And stand. hash browns. Yeah. And I could just have all of, all the carbs. <laughs> But you'd sell them, so it'd be okay. You wouldn't be eating them all. No, no, I think I would, I, I'd be like a druggie trying to sell a stash of my own drugs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, well, that was it. All right, so do we want to take a break or move on to our next topic? It's up to you. Are you going to be able to get it done? Yes. All right. Our so our next time limit. Okay. Our next topic is about living robots. So um, some scientists actually built living robots using cells scraped from frogs, and they can be used for a variety of things. So I guess the robots are made from um, like organic cells from the frogs. I think mm-hmm. they were taken from like the frog legs or something like that. But basically these are like robots that are made out of organic material. So um, they're meant to like break down after they do whatever function that they're supposed to do, which could be either like cleaning up your arteries or delivering, they could like, you know, store medication or nutrients or things like that and release them in the appropriate place. And then once their job is done, they can just go ahead and just dissolve or de- you know, decay in, in the body. And like, you won't have to worry about like, um, I guess the other way to do it is using like nano robots, but that's like, those are like things that don't break down. And I'm not, I always wondered like how they would either stay in the body or what would happen after they, finish their job like would they just stay in your body and like i don't know like what happens would you just poop it out well the Uh, thing is like it's in your bloodstream so like uh, can it be filtered through your kidneys or like how would yeah i never understood like how exactly that worked like that was always fascinating to me 
like novel idea and in theory like yeah i could do a lot of like life-saving work but then what happens afterwards so i guess this um these organic robots they could also um heal themselves if they're ever damaged so because they're like made of like organic material they're self-repairing so yeah i thought it was really cool and i think it's uh you know it could be a better option other than um those nano robots because i really don't know like i said don't know what happens after the robots finish their jobs and whether them staying in your body could like pose other health issues yeah that is really cool Completely different from what I pictured with your first sentence where you were talking about living robots and I was picturing like a life-size robot and I was like, why does it need to be alive? Like, (laughs) what is happening? But okay, this makes, I was going to say makes much more sense. Um, I don't know anything about science. I'll just say it sounds much cooler and more beneficial. (laughs) I approve. Yay. Ooh, and they can also be used for cleaning plaque from arteries, delivering jobs, and or sorry, delivering drugs, and cleaning up microplastics. Delivering jobs? <laughs> <laughs> microplastics in your body? Yeah, so like whatever you eat or consume or like whatever has like tiny, tiny microscopic bits of plastic in them. Like they're everywhere, like in the water supply and uh. like streams and stuff. Like it's like it's actually impossible to avoid consuming microplastics because they don't break down because they're plastic. They they pretty much last like a really, really, really long time. So like think about like if you dispose of plastic in like a landfill, that doesn't degrade. Yeah. So same thing, like microplastics, like yeah, they can get smaller and smaller and smaller, but they're still plastic pieces, like however microscopic they get. Hmm. Well, that is really cool. Very exciting. I applaud those scientists. Yay. All right. Break time? Sure. Okay. And we're back. Um, are you okay? Uh. Okay. We're ready. All right. So Colgate is the next agenda topic. Um, I kind of just wanted to give kudos to them. They launched a new toothpaste that's being billed as the first of its kind because it comes in a recyclable tube. Um, So toothpaste tubes, it said, have traditionally been impossible to recycle because they're made of a mixture of plastic and aluminum. Um, But they have Colgate has a new Smile for Good brand. Um, It was also certified by the Vegan Society. Okay. Um, But it comes in a tube made from high density. I don't know how to say this polyethylene um, HDPE. So it's the same plastic as milk containers, but Colgate's engineers found a way to turn the hard plastic um, into a comfortably squeezable tube. That's widely recyclable. Um, They're going to also share the technology with their rivals. um, And then Colgate Palmolive, which is the actual like company, their chief executive, Noelle Wallace, she said, if we can standardize recyclable tubes among all companies, then we win. She said, we can align on these common standards for tubes and still compete with what's inside them. I was just like, oh my God, what a great outlook. So it said, um, right now it's for sale or it's going to be going on sale in the UK. Um, And they said, 
it's going to be at a high price, which is five pounds for 75 milliliters. And I was like, that means nothing to me. But apparently it costs six times more than a regular tube of Colgate. So that would be like, what, a six? I don't even know how much toothpaste is here. Maybe one, two dollars, depending on whatever brand it is. It would yeah. be like a ten dollar toothpaste. Um, but it's also one other thing they're doing is listing the toothpaste's ingredients on the tube along with an explanation of what the like function is of the ingredient. Um, so they said that consumers trying to buy greener products are sometimes confused by the role of various ingredients. So they have the tube explains, like, for example, that silica cleans and polishes while glycerin prevents the paste from drying out. Um, Colgate Palm Olive, which also owns Palm Olive and Sanex, which I've never heard of, um, said that the packaging on all of their products will be 100% recyclable by 2025. I think that's really great news because I never once thought of what happens to my empty toothpaste tubes after they after I throw them away. Right? Even though I do care about recycling all that, it's like everything that you use is eventually disposable. It's hard to just take note of every single thing that you use. And toothpaste, it you know, you don't buy enough like a new tube of toothpaste like every week or so. It's like every once in a while. So it's something that's easy to overlook, but I'm sure like every single person uses toothpaste hopefully. So, you know, I guess it adds up. And I think it's also really nice of them that they're sharing this technology with their rivals because ultimately it's for the greater common good. And it reminds me of when Allbirds, the shoe company that Amazon um, was trying to rip off, but their shoes are actually like, you know, um, eco-friendly and everything. Um, they offered Amazon that they would share their um, technology with them to make them more sustainable, just like them. And, you know, if they're going to rip them off, then might as well do it the right way. So I really like that. Um, you know, they're not thinking about just profits. They're thinking about the greater good of the environment. So, yeah, I, I agree. Kudos to Colgate. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool attitude to say basically that we'll share how to make the two because what matters is what's inside it. Yep. So yeah. I would love to see more companies when they make innovations like that to share stuff like that with other companies. Um, when it's for something for the greater good. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure they're keeping like their other like formulas um, secret, but you know, something like, their toothpaste tube isn't something that's like their own secret formula that, you know, makes their toothpaste special. It's just the receptacle for their toothpaste. So, you know, I think it's great that they're sharing that. Yeah. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if everything else had a standardized receptacle, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I'm just <laughs> picturing like whatever product you buy, it all comes in the same exact container. And I'm like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Getting ahead of myself. All right, what's your topic? So along the same lines of sustainability, Microsoft has announced that they want to capture all of the carbon dioxide that is ever emitted, and it wants to be carbon negative by the year 2030. So that's a pretty bold move. Like Microsoft's been around for quite a while, so who knows how much carbon emissions they've been putting out all these years. 
And now they're saying that they want to counteract all of the emissions that they've already put out and also be carbon negative by the year 2030. So I think that's really ambitious. Um, they spent um, or they plan to spend over one billion over the next four years to fund innovation innovation and reducing capturing and removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere now they don't say exactly what kind of technology that they're going to use or what measures that they're going to use to capture back the carbon that they've emitted already but i guess that's what they're looking into currently um, so that the, they can um, work on that wow 10 years to become carbon negative. That's, yeah. And I feel like I like, you know, over, I feel like just in January alone, I've heard of announcements of multiple companies saying we're going to become carbon neutral by X date. Um, so I feel like Microsoft is the first to say that they actually want to be carbon negative, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So they've been around since 1975 to be exact. So they have to counteract all the emissions that they've been putting out for the last, what, like, Almost 50 years. Are they going to become carbon negative, like effective 2030 though? So like moving forward, they're going to be. Yeah. So they say that they want to be carbon negative by 2030. So I, I guess the way I would interpret that though, is that like moving forward? Well, I think they, they have considered carbon negative, but I don't know that that means that they're going to like that they have a way to negative. I don't know what word to use. I don't know that they have a way to make up for all of those years. Well, how, what they're currently doing, um, some of the other things that they're doing is they're, they have apparently like an internal fine, um, for, I guess all of their, um, like internal departments or maybe some of the vendors that they're using, they have a fine implemented for any like, um, non-sustainable practices and then how they're measuring their carbon emission output is basically like they're considering, say, for like their um, Xbox like consoles, like their game consoles, like that's a really popular product. So they're considering the energy that it takes to create that product, the materials that go into it, and then also considering the operating, um, you know, like the energy that will be used to actually operate that device. So they're taking all of that into consideration when they're um, mm. calculating their carbon output. So I think that's, a, I mean, that's going like an extra step, I think, but um, I don't know, it's Microsoft. It's one of the largest companies in the world. And if anyone has the ambition to make things happen, like if they have, you know, a will, then I think they have a way, and I think they're one of the ones who are positioned to make things happen. Yeah, that's really cool. Kudos to them. I feel like kudos to so many companies. I know. It's so great that so many like large companies are taking this issue seriously. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's good because there's more politically that could be done and more things that could be happening, but they're not. So I'm glad that some companies are taking it upon themselves. Yeah, there was say, a quote in this article doing. about Bernie Sanders worrying. Like He's like, so Bernie Sanders is a critic of carbon capture technologies because he's worried that just because we're 
able to recapture the carbon that's emitted, that companies won't be motivated to reduce emissions altogether. And I'm like, why can't companies do both? If they reduce emissions, then that's less work than they have to do to recapture it. Yeah. So if they do a combination of both, I feel like that would save them time and effort. And, you know, their business and efficiency is key for them to make profits. So I feel like it'll work itself out. Yeah. That, uh, as long as that remains the end goal. Of, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm like, come on, Bernie. What the hell? Not yeah. that I, again, not to get political. Like, I don't know. Oh, yes, this is a non-political podcast. I'm just saying the facts. (laughs) Not that we're (laughs) non-political. I think it's just we try not to dig too much into it. Okay. There's enough news about that out there already. Yes, there's too much news about it. Okay, Um, final topic is a company called Project Ren that I really just wanted. I feel like I gave a shout out already to Colgate. But um, there's this blogger I follow who I've mentioned before on this podcast um, because I follow him on Twitter. I've been reading his um, blog for a while. My mom actually gave me his book for Christmas. It's called Atomic Habits. His name is James Clear. He's effing amazing. So I was reading one of his recent posts where he talked about he felt guilty because 2019 – I think his book came out at the the end of 2018 or launched in early 2019. I think it was the end of 2018. So he's talking about in 2019, he did a lot of travel to promote his book. And he was like, I was feeling guilty because I know flying everywhere has a lot of like carbon output. And I just felt guilty about the footprint that I was leaving. So he was like, I decided to offset my travel through project rent. And I looked into it and it's a company where you can, um, you can give a gift or you can, kind of set up a subscription because everything is subscription nowadays, but it's a subscription to like offset your carbon footprint by putting money towards, um, cool projects. So like I went to the website and it was like, step one, you calculate your carbon footprint. Um, you put in information like how you get around your power, your gas usage, how much stuff you buy. Um, they would use like I think it was University of California, Berkeley's Cool Climate Project Carbon Footprint Values. Then they would calculate the country average, blah, 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 blah. So all this information about how they calculate your carbon footprint. And then step two is you choose how to offset your carbon footprint. So you are putting money via subscription into projects that usually consist of protecting forests, planting new forests, or using regenerative regenerative agricultural techniques to sequester carbon or prevent methane emissions. So I looked at a couple other projects and they said they did say they only choose projects that are permanent and that have proven ways to prevent or sequester greenhouse gas emissions and also projects that are measurable so that they can give you data showing you like this is where your money's going. Um, So one of the examples was community tree planting in East Africa So they worked with a company called um, TIST, T-I-S-T, and TIST hosts workshops and provides funding for farmers in East Africa to plant and benefit from trees. Farmers form small groups to support each other as they grow their new trees, and then they get paid by TIST to maintain the groves. As the trees mature, they sequester carbon and provide fruit, fuel, windbreaks, and more, and then quantifiers working with TIST measure the growth of each grove and make real-time data available to anyone. And that data is sent to whoever wanted to set up that subscription. Uh, Another example was 
Amazon rainforest protection. So this project protects rainforests in northern Peru's Amazon by giving indigenous people tools to prevent illegal logging. Um, they leverage drones and satellite imagery to capture um, illegal logging sooner. And then the communities use a consensus model to decide on the appropriate response and take action. Each community is in charge and each decides how they want to fight back against deforestation. And then the Rainforest Foundation and its partners collect, analyze, and systemize the data and results to determine which interventions are working and improve the impact and efficacy of the program. Um, and then they said, once you've made your offset, like your subscription or your gift donation, they send detailed updates on the project every two weeks. They said, we also give you access to all the documentation and data we have from the project. So you can thoroughly review project details as you wish. And you can give a one month, six month, or one year subscription gift. And then they said that they take 20% of each subscription to put it towards growing the company. So I kind of like that they were upfront about that because they're, I was looking through their FAQs and it's like, well, how much of the money am I giving to you? Is it actually going to the project? Um, and so I, I really thought it was a cool idea. Like a, what a cool gift idea to like give somebody a gift. That's not something cheesy. Like I bought you a star in the sky, but it's something cool. That's not a physical, like, as someone who identifies as a minimalist, like I sometimes have a hard time getting gifts. <laughs> um, so it's cool to me, the idea to like give someone a gift and be like, you know, it's going towards something that's helping the climate, either preventing rainforest issues, like protecting the Amazon, which is huge, or just like helping out communities in Af East Africa. Yeah, so my initial thought was like, okay, so you're giving money to this company, and how do you know the money's going to where they say it's going? And then you addressed it by saying they're super transparent about how they use that money. Exactly, They show exactly what they're doing, and yeah, that addressed all of my concerns. <laughs> That was my that was like my overarching concern because like there's a lot of companies where like oh you can donate but like you don't exactly know what they're doing with that money. Yes, and I like like I also like that they were upfront saying we use twenty percent of each subscription to grow our company because I'm like hey like as a company I think it's cool what you guys are doing you guys are doing the research into the projects that I wouldn't want to do if I was going to donate to some project that's good for the environment I wouldn't know where to start like I could donate to some nonprofit organization, but this is just a cool other option. So anyone that's interested, um, we'll have the website in our project or in our um, podcast notes, but it's called Project Ren, W-R-E-N. And I think it's a pretty cool idea. I think it's pretty cool too. Yeah. All right. That's it, guys. We're almost at the end of January. One more week-ish. Well, one more podcast episode for January. So stay tuned for the <laughs> final January podcast. Yes. Okay. All right. Have a great um, week, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye. Do you know what quirks were made out of? Me? Yeah. Mm, no. Corks. 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 <laughs> Cork is made from the bark of a tree. Cucurus subrum.